Well, good morning. It's good to have everybody here. It's a privilege as we are mining. And uh, I try to, how do we describe our, our time in God's Word? And uh, a lot of times it's, it's like a jog. Sometimes it's like a nice saunter or walk through the park. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I walk through some parks, I go really slow because I want to smell all the flowers. I want to touch all the flowers. And then I have to take uh, and I have to fight back the urge to pick all the flowers. But, uh, but it's, it's such a privilege uh, to mine the depths of God's Word and to hear about our salvation, to hear about the gospel. I mean, to think about the reality of the book of Romans. And you think about the Roman culture and how decadent, how evil, how they celebrated evil. And it makes really a lot of sense when Paul digs so deep and so broad to share about our sin and to share about who God really is. And so it's a privilege to uh, just hear what God is teaching us through the life of Paul and through the church in Rome and through this letter. And so what a privilege to do that. So let's pray and let's read verses 18, our text, and through verses 23. Lord, we we thank you for the privilege of, of sharing your word, to hearing your word, to proclaiming your word. Lord, and I pray that as we mine the depths and the riches of your gospel, the good news, that we'd all become partakers of this uh, exercise, that we too, our minds, our hearts, that we would actively um, allow your spirit to teach us this morning, to dig deep and to ask some questions um, and why you would share these truths to us. And how can we be encouraged by them? How can we use them in our daily walk? Lord, that we wouldn't just know about the truth, but Lord, that we would follow your truth. And Lord, that we would not uh, let the things of this world uh, suppress uh, your truth. And so Lord, I just I thank you for the opportunity to share these words that you have given the church in Rome and now to us. May, Lord, we be blessed as we read it. May you work as only you can work through the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're in this familiar passage on God's wrath, and uh, this morning we're talking about God's wrath, but most importantly about why none in, in the world is without an excuse. And uh, so we're going to be looking at that and the importance of why man or why all humankind is without excuse when it comes to God's wrath and being under God's wrath and what can we do about that. Well, let's read verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. It's not might. It is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made 
So they are without excuse. For all, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. The wrath of God is revealed to everyone. And as we talk about that, this is the reality that we live under and we live in. It's not too hard for us to to understand uh, why God is filled with wrath on all of mankind as we think about sin, the consequences of sin, and the realities of sin. Just look at our society and we see the fact that we live in a sinful world. We, we look at our culture, we look at uh, the anger, the, the lack of peace, the, how everybody is doing what is right in their own eyes. And if we look at who God is, and then we look at our world, it makes a lot of sense. The problem why a lot of people have a hard time with God's wrath is because we try to impose upon God by looking at who we are based on who everybody else is. We look at our society and say, well, I'm really not that bad. And we make excuse. Or we look at our neighbor and we say, well, I'm definitely better than them. Or I could do it better, right? We judge how they they treat their property and and we do things or or we treat them how they take care of their animals. And and we've had people do that with us. and, And everybody is judging everybody else. But the one thing that we forget is that we're not judging everybody else by everybody else, but we are under the judgment of God based on who God is. Ephesians 2.1 tells us that the natural state of man is this, that everyone is dead in trespasses and sin. In Ephesians 2.1, Paul is reminding us, we are all dead in sin. And it's the Spirit of God that makes us alive. It's not we ourselves We didn't save ourselves, but God saved us. He raised us out of our sinful state. But it shares this state of why why God's wrath is on all mankind. Because everyone's dead in their trespasses. Proverbs 13, 21 shares this same thing. And that says, evil pursues sinners. Evil pursues sinners. And think about that. It's not hard for evil or for people to fall into evil things. It's not hard for our society to fall into evil things. It's not hard for us to fall into sin. It literally pursues our fleshly nature. Proverbs 21.10 goes on to say and tells us why. Because the soul of the wicked desire evil. The soul of the wicked. The natural state of man is those things that are by nature evil, especially when we compare it to God's holiness, God's completeness, the fact that God is great. He's worthy of all praise. All of this to say that man naturally follows sin. I mean, to think about that. 
Man naturally follows sin. He doesn't need any help in doing it, right? We don't go around and say, hey, I need help sinning. When was the last time you saw that? Although I've seen some pretty crazy things on the news. That's pretty close. But we don't go around saying, please help me sin more, right? People just do it. There's no asking for permission, right? So that's the idea. He doesn't need any help in doing this. We do it automatically. John MacArthur, dealing with talking about unrighteousness and sin and God's wrath, he said this, unrighteousness is so much a part of man's nature that every person has a built-in, natural, compelling desire to suppress and oppose God's truth. That's just a natural part of man. The problem is, is we don't think that way. Everybody believes the natural part of man is love. Therefore, we can move God out of the picture and we can suppress the truth about who God is and we, can, we just naturally love each other. Think about how foolish that is. Because you look at our society and I don't see any natural desire to love people. But yet, they live that way. They think they live that way. It's, it's not natural for man to love God. It isn't. That's why God is filled with wrath on all mankind. That's what Paul is talking about. Before you really understand the, the whole the amazing impact of the good news of the gospel of what Jesus did for us, we need to realize the impact and the depth of our sinful nature. That's why in Romans 3, he said, he quotes Isaiah and says, there's none righteous. We don't start out good. Just ask all the mamas that take care of the babies, right? Babies are pretty demanding people. Pride and, and desire and want, it all happens right from the get-go. It doesn't have to be trained. It's natural part of man. And that leads us why, why God, or why God shares why we are without excuse, why everyone is under the wrath of God. Until we have the gospel, this is the truth. And all of man suppress the truth. And this is why. And that is, number one, that God's truth is clear and obvious to man. Look at verse 19 of what we read. It says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. What he's saying is this, is that God's truth is clear and obvious to all mankind. But they suppress that truth. The key words there is, if you have the ESV, it's, it's plain, has been made plain, or it could be made evident. It's a, it's a really interesting word. It means to give light or to shine light on something to make it visible. And you ask, well, where did the light come from? And that's the reality of this. It means that there's an outside source that shines light on something to make it visible so that way you can know about it, right? When you have a light and you run outside in the middle of the night and you have light, you're hoping that it makes visible the obstacles in your path so that way you don't kick something, right? That's the worst thing ever. Don't you hate it when you get, you know, I'm running all the way down to the barn to see why my pigs are squealing, you know? You know, I'm like, where's that, you know, coyote, right? I'm looking for that coyote. I run down there and the light goes out. And it's like, oh, man. I have to run all the way back to the house and not trip over anything. 
And I have lots of young kids. That's almost an impossible task. <laughs> they put everything in the way, right? And so it's, but the idea is that God has made it clear and obvious to man who he is. And yet they've done everything to suppress that. Verse 18, right? Right before that, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth? Why are they without excuse? Because God has made it clear and evident. And what's amazing is there's a definite article right before the verb to be made evident, which means that it is open and public for everyone. He's made it so clear and so obvious that no one can be without excuse because it's public understanding. But not only that, but look what he says in verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Why? Because God made it that way. It wasn't, have you ever done that where it's like, well, you know, who did this job, right? You want to know. Because obviously they didn't do a very good job, right? It wasn't obvious what they were doing. I always, sometimes when people come up to me with paintings and they say, hey, you know, what? My, my daughter used to do this every once in a while. She'd go, hey, what does this look like? And I'm like, do you want me to answer that? <laughs> it's like, I can answer three different animals. <laughs> I don't know. It's not obvious to me, right? And it's, you're almost scared to answer because you know you're going to step on, you know, her artistic mind or toes. But God made it clear. God is the artist. He is the creator he made it plain, not man, not anyone else, not by chance. God made it clear. You know, it's interesting. Not only did he make it visible, but did you notice that he says he made it visible in them or to them? It's literally that God has shown it to them or in them. It's not only that he's made it visible on the outside where they could see it, but he wrote it on their heart. It's so obvious who God is, that there is a God and that he created all things, but everyone is doing their best to suppress it. And that's why God has wrath on mankind. It literally in them means in their heart, in their mind, and on their conscience. In other words, all of men have been provided visible evidence of God and that they're so much so that their physical senses can perceive it, but also not only that, but that their inner sense in their heart, their conscience, can understand to some extent who is God. In short, all men know something and understand something of the reality of the truth of God. And any wrong response to who God is, is without excuse. That's like Romans uh, 2, 13 through 16, that we'll get to uh, at the after summer in verse 15 it says they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflict uh, their conflicting thoughts accuse or even accuse them the idea is that they they're accused their conscience accuses them what they know to be true accuses them and verse 16, that on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Everything is known. It's clear. It's obvious. God sovereignly, through his creation, planted evidence of who he is to his very existence, to his very nature. 
of who he is. God did this on purpose. Psalms 33, verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Verse 8 and 9, it says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Why? Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. So Isaiah said, Isaiah 40, 26, he says, Lift up your eyes on high and see who or see him that has created these stars, the one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name. I mean, look at all the stars. And you look at it all and you're like, he knows every one of them, every single one. And he knows them by name. I have a hard enough time with just the constellations that are around the earth. Right? It's like, oh, what's that? Oh, is that Leo? What is that? Perseus, Pegasus, whatever. I'm like always looking. I was like, oh, I found the Big Dipper. There we go. <laughs> I know where that is, and there's a star up there somewhere, right? God knows every single name. He's never lost a star. Think about that. And he says, Isaiah says in the end of verse 26, is because of the greatness of his might and his strength of his power, not one of them is missing. That's God. That leads us to the second thing that we see in verse 20, and that is God made it clear. Again, the same word as in verse 19. God made it so obvious and clear and plain since the creation, since the completion of creation. Verse 20 says, For his invisible attributes, namely his internal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. There's some powerful things here has been clearly perceived. Everything from the time when he created everything, who he is has been clearly perceived. His creation sheds light on who he is. You understand why we fight over the fact that God created all things? Because it's his creation. Not only his creation, but it's his creation that reveals who he is. You change creation and you change God. You can't do that. You understand why God is filled with wrath on all mankind. He has clearly been perceived or to be made evident. It means to cause, become visible by some external manifestation. It was his creation. But it goes on from there. And it's written in verse 20, the verb is written in a different tense. It's in the aorist tense, which means it's something that has been definitely done in the past and completed. Now think about that. When he says he has made evidence who he is in creation since it was completed. See, creation hasn't continued on. There's no, there's no progressive creation. Creation was willed by the will of God, by the words of God, and created so he can be perceived. The view, the, viewing the revelation of who God is in creation is a completed act. God has brought to light, so to speak, sufficient evidence of his existence as soon as he created everything. Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 3, 
uh, you want to learn about Christ and about creation and about uh, everything, about the work of the law and about the impact of the gospel, you go to Hebrews and it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it people of old receive their condemnation. Wow, by things that they hadn't seen. Right? The invisible nature of God. But look at verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. All of creation was by the word of God. There was nothing that ever existed. There was nothing. And God created out of nothing. Something. There was nothing visible. There was nothing that existed before God created. Which brings us to the third point. Because all creation is pointing to God's character. Did you see that in verse 20? For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, who he really is, is evident because of creation. That's why creation is so important. The understanding that there was nothing that was when he created. There is no form of evolution. It's a theory. It's actually more of a religion than putting your faith in, in the Lord. There's more evidence of God than there is of evolution. Do you understand the, the, the verses that we've been preaching? It is all about what God has done. It's about who he is. It's about his very nature. It's about his very character. You change that, you are changing who God is, and there's a very reason why. Nobody wants to be under the authority of God. Because creation reveals his character, namely those invisible attributes. This says that God was revealing himself to man from the beginning of the world. This general type of revelation that God began at the time of creation. And we see three of them. That God is eternal, that he's in everlasting. That even before there was anything, he existed. He's eternal. Isaiah 40, 28, it says, The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Psalm 90, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is eternal. That's what's so beautiful about creation. We see that God is eternal. When God saves us and redeems us and he washes away our sin, think about this. That is same eternal God and the attributes is the one that extends our relationship for the rest of eternity. You change creation, you change the very gift and nature of what God does for your life. There are so many impacts when you change creation. Not only that, but he is all-powerful. You see that it says in verse 20, it says, for his in invisible attributes, namely his eternal power. He's, he, he's eternal. He's self-existing. He's always existed. Same with his power. He's omnipotent. He's omnipotent and he's all-wise. Omnipotent simply means eternal power or is the most powerful. We know this from Psalms 115, verse 3. says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. He's all-powerful. 
There is none like him. Genesis 18.14 proclaims this as well. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Question mark. At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son, right? It's like Abraham's like, question the wisdom and question the power of God. When God says, God visited him and says, now you're, I know you're 100 years old, but you're going to have a baby, and this is what you're going to name him. And through him, I'm going to make a great nation, and you're going to bless all the nation, and through you, salvation will come. Wow. And, and he, they kind of laughed at God. They doubted God's power. And he just, God just simply said, is there anything too hard for me? I created all things. I know, how, I know how you work. I'll make it work. Because I am God. Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return empty. But it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things of which I sent it. Everything that God plans, everything that he purposes, everything that he desires, it happens. That's God's power. Anyone should be able to look at creation and conclude how powerful God is. That's one of the things I loved about growing up when my mom and I had first come to the Lord, and we had storms, whether we were in Alaska, we had a mini hurricane that that came through Alaska at one point, and we had earthquakes, and, and then we moved to Oklahoma, and we had tornadoes. And every single time, and I know I've shared this before, but she would take me out and said, behold, look at the majesty and power of God. And I was thinking, I want to live, <laughs> right? But she was teaching me that God was something to fear. Look how amazing he is. Look at what he can do. I think the most amazing aspect of that is when I rode my bike into town, um, and it was easy to do that in Oklahoma because everything was flat, right? And so I rode my bike into town, and I get there, and I go to the local grocery store that's made out of cinder blocks. You know those old grocery stores that are just solid cinder blocks and filled with concrete. And I go, and there's a piece of straw that goes all the way through the cinder block and it sticks out and you can move it from both sides. I was like, whoa. There were the, you know, the pictures, there was cows that were walking around with pieces of straw sticking straight through them. Cows that had died because of two by fours that, you know. Man, it was crazy, these storms. And I'm thinking, and I remember just hearing, my mom kept telling me, God is... Look at his creation. He is more powerful than this. And I was like, man, anything that's powerful enough to throw a piece of straw all the way through a cinder block, solid cinder block wall, and it didn't even crumple. It was solid. I was like, imagine how amazing and how powerful God really is. Causes you to fear and to trust more in the Lord. And that's this reality. He's saying, look, men suppress the truth, but they are without excuse. When it comes, when they stand before God, all men will be without excuse because he has made it plain. He has made it evident. He has opened up everybody's eyes, but they keep doing everything they can to suppress the truth. And it, everything, the whole, everything they need to know about God is plainly seen in his creation. Romans eleven thirty three. 
By the time I'm 70, we may get there. But it says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Think about his revelation of who he is. It's so perfect. Everything that he does is so perfect. All of his wisdom, all of his power is absolute. All of his understanding is beyond comprehension. Psalm 147, verse 5, How great is our Lord. His power is absolute. His understanding is beyond comprehension. J.I. Packer wrote in the book that we've been studying in Sunday School, Knowing God, he said this, he says, Wisdom is, in fact, the practical side of moral goodness. As such, it is found in the fullness of only in God. He alone is naturally and entirely and invariably wise. God simply cannot make bad plans because he knows everything from the beginning to the end. Scripture repeatedly calls God all wise beyond measure and beyond our understanding. Think about this. By his wisdom, the foundations of the earth was laid. By God's wisdom, the sun and the moon were placed in perfect rotation for life. By his wisdom, our bodies are knit together inside our mother's womb. Psalm 139. Right? Somebody was asking me, is there an abortion uh, verses in the Bible? That is it. God creates life. We do not. God sustains life. By his wisdom, everything remains in balance on the earth and has done so ever since creation. I mean, this whole idea of creation revealing God as the creator and the one to be amazed, this idea was introduced and put forth by Edwin Hubble, you know, the inventor of the Hubble telescope. I almost said microscope, (laughs) but the telescope. And Albert Einstein, they both wrote about this and they both said this, They both came to the conclusion that the universe is expanding. Thus, if you run the clock back, it had a beginning from nothing. Thus, there there was a beginner to all things. This idea was absolute, repulsive to most mainstream, um, non-thetic or non-God-fearing scientists, and they searched desperately for any other path to the universe which could exist without God. None has ever arisen. Albert Einstein and Hubble were fighting other scientists and saying, you guys are crazy. There is a creator. There is a God. We are stuck with a creation event, and scientists are stuck with the logical conclusion that we have a creator. And we see the reality is this, that God is revealed in two ways, and that is this, general revelation and special revelation. General is what we've been talking about, that God made it plain for everybody to know him. God self-disclosed through the created world who he is. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the majesty, who he is. Special revelation is a little different. It's God disclosing himself by an act of direct revelation. His very word given to us so we know specific things about him. So you have the general, which tells us there is a God, and then you have specific or special revelation that discloses specifically who God is. 
and what His purpose and plan is for all mankind. Ephesians 3 verse 1 through 5 talks about this specific revelation or special revelation. Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you, the Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that has been given to me for you, how the mysteries was made known to me by revelation. Not the revelation of creation, but made known specific from God to him so we can know God's will. Going back to Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. That's special revelation. We need to understand. A lot of times we get so frustrated and the world doesn't understand this because they're desperately looking for special revelation or specific revelation and they miss all of the general revelation. And they try to suppress the general revelation. But it's the general revelation that leads to the special revelation. Why so many people struggle with knowing God or knowing who God really is and getting saved is because they've suppressed the general revelation so much and the truth about God, they don't need God. That's why we live in the society we live in. There's a big difference between natural or general revelation and special revelation. General revelation helps us to know about God. Special revelation helps us to know God. Why do so many people are religious and they focus on religion is because they are focusing on all the general things about God and they miss the whole point that God is trying to lead them to know Him. To have a relationship, to experience Him. The other one just know, is a knowledge or facts about God. General revelation shows God as creator, whereas special revelation shows God as redeemer, the one who saves us. You get rid of God as creator, you get rid of the creation event, and you don't need a redeemer. You can redeem yourself. So foolish when you think about it. General revelation is the norm for our society, whereas special revelation is the norm of the church. When we come to church, when we assemble to worship God, we're worshiping Him based on His special revelation, what He has shared about the intimate knowledge of who He is so we can love Him more. Right? It's, it's like this idea of general and special. It's like reading a book about something and then actually experiencing it, right? Have you ever, you know, it's sometimes I used to read a lot of books about how to fix the car. And then I go, right? I read the book and I'm like, okay. And I go and I go to the car and it doesn't look like anything that I just read. You know, guys, you've been there, right? I'm like, what in the world? It's like, do I have the right manual? I'm like, it says that I need this, this, and this, but it doesn't fit there. Like it says, get a 17 millimeter wrench, go and, and, and I go and I go, and it doesn't fit. Right? And that's the thing is, is that all of our society, all of the world, they're suppressing the truth about God and his nature through general revelation. They suppress it as hard as they can. Everybody is doing what's right in their own eyes. 
and they read a lot of books about what they think is right on a human level, and they don't ever experience the reality of who God really is. They don't understand what God's love is all about. They don't understand what God's mercy and grace is all about. They don't understand that God came to do a work that we can never do. So we don't have to work. We just enjoy the relationship with God. And he empowers everything that we do. And we worship so much more. General revelation is the means of condemnation. It's the means of God's wrath. It shows that everyone is without excuse who God really is, whereas special revelation is the means for salvation. General revelation never saves people, but it will lead people to the specifics so they can be saved. God uses his general, think about this, God uses his general revelation to proclaim his specific revelation. You get rid of God's general revelation of creation and his attributes that are clearly seen in creation, you get rid of that and you take away the bridge that leads to specific, special revelation for our salvation. Why does no one have an excuse? Because God has made it plain to everyone who he really is. And, but they suppress it. They deny it. They do everything. You look at our world. Their whole society is built on trying to become God themselves. They have the authority over life. No, God does. God is the creator. They have authority over science. No, they don't. God does. God, in fact, the Bible is filled with science. It's amazing. And math is amazing. You can learn there's, I was with a guy that was showing how you can learn algebra from Scripture. It was, it was crazy. What is the purpose of God's revelation? The purpose is to force man to a moment of a decision that they are no longer God, but God is God. God has given man every conceivable revelation of himself and has left those who refuse to get right with God without an excuse for their continued state of sin. The universe, all of God's creation, is the Lord's courtroom. You take away his creation, you try to change God. Suppress the image of God, you change. That's why we have all the transgender issues today, all the confusion, all the sin, do whatever you want to do. Because they don't want to be created in God's image. They want to create their own image. They suppress the authority of God in the creation and all of life. They want the authority for themselves. They suppress God um, in the foolish things that they perceive as wise in this world. It was funny when, when L.A., I got to see it. They put all those black balls in the reservoirs to cover up, to try to cover up so that the sun wouldn't beat down because they were the water was evaporating and they wanted to keep the water evaporating. So they put these big round black balls by the thousands in the reservoirs to cover up the water only to superheat the water and evaporate it faster. 
In their wisdom, they proclaim their foolishness. First <laughs> Corinthians 1. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribes? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews demand signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom. All of this to say this, God is God. We are not. We are without excuse. Where are you at today? Are you trying to make excuse for the way that you live your life? Because you aren't. There is no excuse to live outside of God's will, to to pursue our own things, to say that we are more important than God, to not worship God. Man, in our natural state, we will choose to do those evil things. It pursues our flesh. We need the Lord. We need His mercy. We need His grace. Maybe you have been realized your whole life that, yeah, there is a God, and you know that, but you didn't realize the specific revelation, the fact that what God did on the cross, that specific revelation of Him taking care of, paying for our sins, so that we are no no longer under the wrath of God. If that's so, then turn and put your faith and trust in that specific work that He did when He died for you. Maybe you realize that God is real. You've looked out at the world and you're like, this is crazy. And you're fearful. Turn to the Lord. He is waiting for you. He created all of this this general revelation of creation and and his divine attributes so that we would lead to the cross that we would know that we need a savior. Here's the thing is, Maybe there are things in your life that are suppressing the image of God. Maybe there are images and things that you're patting your, patterning your life after. And it's not after God the creator. God created you with a purpose. He, cre- he, didn't, he created you after his own image. Not to look like everybody else, but to follow him. Maybe you're suppressing his authority. And you're doing things and, and you're complaining or you're, you're, you're fighting for things that you want so that way you have authority. I'm not just talking about with people. I'm talking about between you and God. Maybe you're, you're, you're sitting there with all these excuses of why you still can do the things that you do, and, but you're getting convicted. You're working hard to suppress that truth only for it to keep resurfacing. Praise the Lord if it is because that means God's still working on you. Don't buy into the foolish things of this world. Let God reveal them for the foolishness that they are because of how great he is. Who are you putting your trust in, the creator of this world or the foolish logic, the foolish philosophies, the foolish theories of man? That is not the way that we've learned Christ. Follow Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your your love that has been poured out on all mankind. Thank you for the many years that you've held back your wrath. You could have, just like you destroyed 
the earth in, with water and the great flood. One day you're going to destroy this earth in fire and consume because of your great wrath. But Lord, you had great mercy and you've been crying out and through your general revelation of creation and showing your divine attributes to call mankind to you, saying, this is who I am. Come to me. Let me show you by the power of my spirit. Let me call you to salvation. Let me save you. He made it plain and evident by sending his son to die on the cross for our sins. And, and, and people hated the light so much so that they crucified our Lord. Lord, I pray that you would call people to you and realize that we deserve all of your wrath. By nature, we are sinners. We try to excuse all our sin. But Lord, you are holy. You are righteous. Lord, you are worthy of all our worship. Just as we sang earlier, Lord, that we'd make it all about you and less about us. And in doing so, that we would know more about you. Our relationship would grow. Our desire to follow our great and powerful and our everlasting wise God would be evident in our life. May we truly say that we are Christ followers and not followers of this foolish world filled with sin. Lord, protect us. Help us to grow. Help us to get rid of our sin of our life and to love you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.